What's going on, everyone? My name is Brian Williams, and I am the pastor of Restoration Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Thanks so much for allowing us into your digital life and tuning in to this message. If you'd like to get involved with anything we have going on, you can do so at restorationtc.com. While you're there, you can find out about events, get to know a little bit more about what we believe, and you can also give a donation. Now, we're set up a little different than most in that we have a community account where 100% of your donation goes directly back into the community, both locally and globally. We've partnered with organizations like Freedom Builders here in Traverse City, World Orphans, and Charity Water. We also have an overhead account that helps fund the mission and vision of the church. Our vision is people following Jesus, and our mission is transparency, community, and change. Thanks again for checking out the message. Now let's get to it. He wanted to make a name for himself. He had visions of grandeur. He thought he was going to be the greatest ruler who ever lived. Sure, his dad had wisdom and his grandpa was a man after God's own heart. But Rehoboam, man, he was ready to rule his way the way that he thought this kingdom should be ruled. And so when the tribes of Judah came to him and saying, or of Israel came to him and saying, hey, what, um, wh- what do you say? Can we, can we get a little bit, re- little bit of a reprieve? Your dad, Solomon, he wasn't, he, he wasn't very nice to us. There's a lot of taxing going on. There's a lot of stuff going on. Sure, the temple got built. That was pretty cool. But man, that was difficult. And, and, and so Rehoboam, he's got a decision to make. Now is the king of, of these, these tribes. It's like, okay, what do we do? So he goes and he seeks counsel. That's the right move to do, Rehoboam. Uh, you go and seek counsel. Rehoboam goes and seeks counsel from, from, from some of the elders, the people who were, who were around even when Solomon was there. And their, their, uh, their advice that they gave to Rehoboam was, man, your dad was pretty tough on him. Why don't you just lift off a little bit? Just take the gas off a little bit. Give him some reprieve. These people are going to love you anymore. And Rehoboam's sitting there going, that's pretty good advice, actually. I like that advice. But you know who I haven't asked yet? My drinking buddies, the guys I grew up with, uh, the, the little ragtag team of my friends. I mean, I, I'm king now. I should probably ask them. I mean, they, they, they probably want something from me. Anyway, I'm going to ask them what they think. And so Rehoboam goes and he asks his buddies, hey, what do you think I should do? And, and his drinking buddies, I mean, they think he's got to be the man, right? Like, you've got this power. You better use it. Man, they're going to walk all over you if you let off the gas now. So you got to push down even harder. Push your thumb down even harder. And they say, that Solomon used a a whip, well, we're going to use scorpions. And it's like, wow, okay, that's pretty intense. And so three days later, the the leaders of the tribes come back and they're like, well, what are you going to do, Rehoboam? What's the decision? Rehoboam, he thinks about it for a moment. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go with my drinking buddy's idea. And this is going to be basically a living hell for you guys. And 10 of the tribe's leaders, they say, all right, we're out. See you later. Good luck with that. And Rehoboam's left being like, wait, what? Huh? No, 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 wait, huh? You want me to, no, 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 wait, come, can they do that? Can they leave? Is that okay? Are, like, why, who? And that starts the split of Israel. You've got 
10 tribes to the, to the north and they keep the name Israel. You've got two tribes to the south and they're their own kingdom now. They name themselves Judah. Judah and the Benjamites are what's there. The tribe of Benjamin. And that starts the course for the rest of the Old Testament and even the way we see things play out in the New Testament. The people in the north, those 10 tribes, they, they decide that they're going to make this one city called Samaria their city. The tribe of Judah and, and that nation of Judah, they're, they're going to make Jerusalem their hometown, their, their, their main city. 200 years after that moment, the Assyrians come and they capture the northern kingdom, leaving only Judah as a sovereign state. 150 years later, Judah was under siege, Babylon won the battle. They had this guy named uh, Jehoiakim in power. And, and when ba Babylon would come and take over a, a, a country, uh, they would take some of the brightest and the best with them. So this first time they take over the, the land of Judah, the sovereign state of Judah, Judah is no longer a sovereign state anymore. And Babylon takes some of their people with them, including this guy named Daniel. And he's got a few other friends with him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember those guys? You might remember them from VeggieTales, maybe. I don't know. But they go with Nebuchadnezzar. They're forced to leave with Nebuchadnezzar. What that point of that would be is that you would leave the country in ruin. You would leave the country without its political power, without its leaders, uh, without their 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 goods and, and all that kind of stuff. And it would and then you would bring in other people from other places that you've pillaged and and just mingle them in there with everything else and and, and and it makes it very difficult to band together when you've got so many different cultures together in one place. So King Jehoiakim, he stays in power uh, over, over Judah. He's appointed as the king there. He's, he is the king there. Uh, and for three years, he's paying tribute to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, paying taxes, like doing all the stuff that he's got to do because he's under Babylonian control. And after three years, he decides that he's not going to do it anymore. And he, he, he does a little bit of a revolt, which doesn't work out very well for Jehoiakim. He was killed. <laughs> and his son, Jehoiakim, yeah, I don't know why there's Jehoiakim and then Jehoiakim. It's just the way that it is. Uh, he takes over. So, so Nebuchadnezzar appoints his son. You are now the king. Don't do what your dad did. But it says in 2 Kings that they continue to do evil, what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's just over and over and over. It repeats itself. They were doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Jehoiakim, after three months, three months he's in power, he decides that he's going to refuse to pay tribute to old Neb. So Neb comes back to Jerusalem again. He takes more stuff. He pillages more things and more people with him, including Jehoiakim this time. So Neb, Neb put Jehoiakim's uncle in power as a, as a puppet king, basically. So he took more stuff included, and, and people. So there's even more leaders gone from, from Judah. There's even more stuff gone from the temple. Gold, uh, things that were kept in the temple, silver, all of these artifacts were, were, that were in there. They start taking all that stuff out. And so there's pretty much, the, Judah is basically just a shell of what it used to be. And now there's this puppet king, which happened to be Jehoiakim's uncle, which was Jehoiakim. Kim's brother. Is that confusing? Maybe a little bit. He, they changed his name to Zedekiah, Nebuchadnezzar did. And after 10 years, so he's in power for 10 years, uh, Zedekiah. Zed decides after, after almost 10 years, it's like nine years and 10 months, he decides, you know what? 
I'm done with, with Nebuchadnezzar. I'm done with Babylon. We're not going to pay tribute to Babylon anymore. We are now going to uh, make a deal with Egypt. Well, Nebuchadnezzar hears about this, and he comes back with his people, uh, the Chaldeans. All of these people come back, and they burn Jerusalem and its walls and its temple to, temple to the ground. They take everything out of there. They pillage more people, more stuff. And, and, and Zed was able to flee. This went on for a, a year and a half. The this battle went on with, with Nebuchadnezzar and, and Zedekiah battling each other. So, so Zedekiah eventually flees with his family and a few other people. They're trying to make their way to Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar gets word of it. He captures them and brings them back to Babylon. Basically, uh, Zedekiah's kids are murdered right in front of them, and then they gouge out Zedekiah's eyes. Now all that's left in in the land of Judah were poor people, farmers and vine dressers. It's completely laid to waste. The people of Judah had no home, no spiritual leader, no political leader, and seemingly no hope. They were mingled in with people from other cultures. They didn't know the languages. Their temples burned down. Their walls are destroyed. They're vulnerable and they have nothing. All of the best people, all of the brightest people have been exiled to a place called Babylon. And that's where we find ourselves starting this series of Rebuild. I hope you've got your, 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 your Old Testament hats on. I don't know what those look like, but I hope you got them. I hope you're ready for this series called Rebuild because we are going to spend, and it's going to fly right by. We're doing 11 weeks on this series called Rebuild where we're going to be looking at the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We needed all of that background information to get us to where we can actually start the series of Ezra and Nehemiah. In order to read through Ezra and Nehemiah, we need to understand what's going on, what's happening, who are the players, what's going on. They are under Babylonian control. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has wiped out everything. And there, there were two nations. The Israel is, is uh, overcome by the Assyrians, which happened a long time ago. And Judah is under control of Babylon. And actually, Jeremiah the prophet, this is what he was talking about. You know, you love to quote Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, th- this, is what, this is what Jeremiah was talking about, actually. These 70 years of exile in Babylon. But there's promises to this. And so this is at the end of those 70 years, finally, that Ezra and Nehemiah pick up. This used to be just one book, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, in our Bibles, it's split up into two. And we need to understand what's going on. So we did this long intro so that we could understand exactly what's happening. It's like reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We, we don't start with the two towers. Ezra and Nehemiah, that's basically the two towers, all right? And, or, or maybe also Return of the King. No, Return of the King comes later. That's, that's when Jesus comes. Um, but we, we have to get the Fellowship of the Ring in before we can understand what's happening in the two towers. And so that's where we're at today. Um, and, and so if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you, open it up because because there's a lot of things we're going to want to write in our Bibles. You're going to want to write in the, in the margins, in the notes, uh, whatever it is that you've got. We've got a lot of stuff to go over today. We've learned some of the context of what's going on. The people are under uh, Babylonian control, and that's where our story begins. In Ezra chapter 1, 
It's right after First and Second Chronicles. Now, our Old Testament Bible is a little bit different than the Hebrew one. Uh, the, the orders are a little bit different. Uh, so if you have a, I don't know why you would have a Hebrew Bible, but if, in case you do, it's in the, all, all the way in the back. If you don't, uh, it's going to be after First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and then we've got Ezra. So we're in Ezra chapter 1. Here we go. Rebuild. What does it look like? 11 weeks this is what we get. A people are going to rebuild their nation from ruin to a rebuild. And I think there's going to be something in it for us. All right, enough stalling. Verse one, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. All right, Brian, hold on. You were talking about Babylon. Now we're talking about Persia. What's going on? All right, let's just take a take a moment. Take it like just go back a second. First of all, it takes a movement of God to stir hearts, and God is stirring up the heart of this ruler named Cyrus. Cyrus was was the leader of this place called Persia, and they started conquering lands. They started conquering lands all over the place. They took over uh, Babylon, and that's why we have Cyrus here now. So they just started getting victory after victory after victory, and and they're just going through. There, and, and some of the battles are pretty bloody. But at, at some point, Cyrus has to be thinking, man, I, I, I thought it'd be a lot more difficult than this. We're already, we took over Babylon. This, I mean, that was, I mean, it was a little bit difficult, but holy cow, we got Babylon. We're about to get Egypt. Man, there's all this stuff happening right now. Cyrus and, and, and the Persians took over Babylon pretty quickly. And it was because God was in it. If you want to go to Isaiah, um, chapter 45, you can read through that Isaiah called this out, that Cyrus was going to do this. This is 150 years before Cyrus actually does this. Uh, Isaiah calls out this guy named Cyrus is going to take over Persia, dot, dot, dot. You get to Jeremiah 29. Again, Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to keep you, all that kind of, that whole verse that we put on our mugs, that's included in all of this. So uh, the, the prophet Jeremiah is saying, this is going to happen. You're going to have rescue, all right? Throughout this entire time, through this Babylonian captivity time, up until Cyrus takes over, you've got uh, prophetic books like Haggai, Malachi, and Zechariah. All of that is happening here throughout the book of Ezra. So when we read through a Bible, we can't just go chronologically, think that it's chronological, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, going through all of the books some of it's chronological, but once you start getting through some of it, I mean, First and Second Chronicles is just basically a chronicling of what's gone on from, from uh, I mean, it, it, it chronicles everything. And so that's what First and Second Chronicles is. And then you've got Ezra and Nehemiah, and then you've got all the prophets, but all the prophets are living throughout this whole time. So that's why your Bible is a little bit different. That's why uh, you, you, we might be flipping forward sometimes to go backwards, uh, to, to see what God was, was doing in the prophets, to, to explain, to, to prophesy what was about to happen. It's, it's a lot in here, and we're going to try to do our best to cover it all. So Cyrus in Persia, they've taken over the kingdom. And uh, the Persians, I mean, you could, you could live under worse. I mean, they were living under Babylonian rule, which was worse. 
the Persians were were very okay with everything. They were like, they just, um, with whatever the religion was, like they had their own religion, but they were like, hey man, if you got your own religion, that's cool. You know, if you want to believe what you want to believe, we're going to believe what we're going to believe. And Cyrus specifically uh, was probably read the the prophecy about him. He was like, well, man, I've got to do this because uh, this God is going to help me out. That God's going to help me out. And so he took the approach of very diplomatic, like, and and the way a lot of spiritual people are today, that's like, hey, maybe I can just uh, have a little bit of this thinking, a little bit of that thinking, and then everything is going to be fine. Like we can just, um, I'll take a little bit of this religion, a little bit of that religion, and it'll all, it's all good karma. It's all just going to help me out, is basically what Cyrus is thinking here. So in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. We're going to get to that writing, and I read that verse again for you, so that you can write in the margins Isaiah 45 and Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. Just write those down in the margins. And, and what looks like a, a takeover of, of history of, of Cyrus and the Persians taking over, God is in control the whole time. So here we go. Verse two, what did he write? Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So, so Cyrus gives this decree out saying, hey guys, y'all are free to go back to Jerusalem and you've got to build your house, build the temple for God, the God of heaven. Thus says King Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven. This was the name for Yahweh, the, 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 the Jewish God. And so he was respecting that. He wasn't saying that it was his God. He's just saying, this is your God. If you guys want to go, um, we understand that whatever God is doing, somehow this God of yours, he, he kind of has a lot of control here. Uh, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So he's like, go back and build the house for God. Build the temple. Whoever is among you, go and do it. So this was something that would be written down, but also proclaimed by the heralds, the people who would uh, be there with with. Um, with Cyrus, they would go out into all of the communities and, and just, you know, they'd stand on a box or whatever and say, this decree is from, in, in a different language, this decree is from the king of, of Persia, Cyrus. Hey, if you're uh, from the land of Judah, you get to go home now. Uh, what? We, wait, us? Remember, some of these people have been here for 70 years. Some of them have been there for 50. And they're remembering, I'm sure some of them are counting down the days of when Jeremiah Jeremiah said 70 years. And so they know, some of them know that it's got to be soon. But the one 50 years are probably caught a little bit off guard being like, wait, I thought it was seven, 70 years. What's going I'm looking at my notes. I Weeks ago?
And Israel, the, the, the nation of, well, of Judah, <laughs> they're thinking back even further. They're thinking back and they're thinking, man, this is a new Exodus. Under verse four or right next to verse four, uh, I just want you to write Exodus 12, 35. So they're thinking a thousand years ago, man, we, were, we had this Exodus from, from, from Egypt. And in that same time, they're viewing this as another Exodus out of captivity and into a land that God has promised them. And they're gonna rebuild a temple. They're thinking, holy cow, this is a, this is a new Exodus for us. Because in the similarity, the, like what they're seeing from this uh, being proclaimed from Cyrus about that you're going to be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with the beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. You guys are going to go and we're going to give you stuff as we go. And that goes back to Exodus 12, 35, where they were also given silver and gold to leave. And God uses something that Cyrus is doing for his own glory and his own purposes Verse five, then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up, underline that, underline, the, uh, whose spirit God had stirred up to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. God stirred up a remnant among the remnant. Not everyone was stirred up to go back. Some of them, some of them did what Jeremiah said, build houses, get jobs, acclimate to the community that you're going to be in because you're going to be in there for a while. Some of them weren't ready to go back and so they didn't. God stirred up a remnant among the remnant, everyone whose spirit God has stirred. And, we, and the reason I shared the story in the beginning of, of Solomon and, and Rehoboam is is so badly, the nation of Israel, these, they, they wanted a king. And so God was like, all right, if that's what you want to do, you want to look like the rest of the world and have a king, that's not going to go well for you, but you ask enough and I'll give it to you. So he gave him this guy named Saul. Then we got to David, then we got Solomon, then we got Rehoboam, and then it was king after king after king. And the nations were fracturing. what was perceived to be the height of the nation of Israel were some of its darker days. It broke apart into the two nations, one to the north Israel and the small one to the south Judah, which had Jerusalem. And there's this little remnant of people that are still in, in, in captivity, now under Persia, that are going to go back. Just a few of them. And I don't know, I just got to say, sometimes that means that the biggest thing isn't always the best thing. Man, we equate material possessions so much with, 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 um, with spiritual uh, blessing. And we, we think we can be spiritually blessed if, if we're materially, materially blessed. That was hard for me to say. Material possessions and a lot of stuff do not equate a spiritual blessing. It just means that you've got a lot of stuff and you've got a lot of material possessions. 
Man, the, the, the nation of Israel, if there's something we can take out of this, is that's the nation of Israel, the, these people from Judah, they thought at one point that having the largest kingdom, that having a king looking like the world was going to be the best thing. And they got completely obliterated through all of it. They started chasing after their own, own success. They started uh, pushing away God and started putting up their own pedestals for their own selves. And God gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. It says it in the in Second Chronicles, I think the last chapter. In Second Chronicles 36, it talks about that, that uh, God gave them prophet after prophet after prophet to come and say, guys, we're doing it wrong and time is going to run out. And they're like, ah, we're fine. No, no, you're doing it wrong. God, you're, you're going to run out of time. No, we're, 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 we're the nation of Israel. We're blessed. We're holy. We're set apart. Nothing's going to happen to us. And in their ignorance and in their pride, they were struck down. And now this humble, small group, just a remnant of a remnant, God moves in their hearts now with full humility that we're going to go back and we're going to rebuild. Yeah, we had everything at one point and we lost it all. Which means that a material possession and a lot of stuff don't equate to spiritual blessing. Church, I hope we can understand that today. the small number of people are going back to do some work, to rebuild. Verse six, and all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in the charge of uh, Mithridath, the treasurer who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. Prince of Judah just means the ruler, the guy who was appointed, the chief of of Judah. Um, What an incredible scene this is. Man, sometimes it feels like your enemy is winning. And if you go back to Daniel chapter 1, or go forward to Daniel Daniel chapter 1, actually, uh, verse 1 and 2 tells us that, man, they retrieved gold and silver from the temple, and they put it in the treasury of their God. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. They got all of the gold, all of the silver that was in the temple uh, for, for Yahweh. All of that that was in there, they, they pillaged all of it. They, they tore down all the pillars. They completely destroyed the thing, took everything that was out of it. And they put it in the treasury of their God. And you could read the news that day saying the the, the God of Israel, the God of Jacob has been defeated. Yahweh has been defeated. And now they're saying that their God is greater. Their God is stronger. Their God is higher than any other. And in those moments, the nation of Judah hung their heads because it felt like their enemy was winning. But God isn't just the God of the here and now, but he's also the God of tomorrow. 
and after that, and after that. And he's outside of time, and he's looking down at everything that's going on. And whatever it is that you have going on right now, I just got to tell you, it may feel like God is abandoning you, that that uh, evil is winning, that you're just, you're stuck. And this story in, in Ezra and Nehemiah, what we're going to find out is people aren't stuck. God hadn't forgotten. And in these verses, we see that God is still victorious, even through it all. All of the stuff was still there. Still in, in, in where Nebuchadnezzar had left it. And the Persians hadn't touched it. And just imagine the scene. So what happens in these next few verses, we're not going to read them, 9 through, I think, 11, uh, is they start counting out all of the silverware, all of the pieces of gold, everything that was taken. So they start counting uh, the, the treasurer, Mithridath, the treasurer, he counted them out to Sheshbazar, the, the, the prince of Judah. All right, here's this, it's accounted for. Here's this, it's accounted for. Here's this, it's accounted for. And imagine, I don't know how old Sheshbazar is here, it doesn't say. But he, he's heard the stories of the temple. And I know sometimes we can read scripture and just be like, ah, oh, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know. I mean, it's Ezra and Nehemiah. It's just listing out a whole bunch of stuff. But we have to remember that there are people that are here. This is, this is an actual event that happened. And these are people. And just, just picture the scene where, where all of a sudden just buckets and, and, and chariots full of stuff are just coming out that all belong to Judah. And it was all there. They're bringing it all back out. I mean, tears have to be on Sheshbazar's face right now. Now, as he's watching and counting every single piece, which means, yes, that little puny God, puny God. Okay, I just did an Avengers thing. Uh, that, that little God may have won the day, but God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the God who still sits on his throne today, is going to win the battle, win the war. We can go to the end of the book and see that Jesus comes back victorious. He's already defeated Satan, sin, and death for us. For us. And so all we have to do is just sit back and count the gold that's going before us. Not like in a prosperity gospel way, all right? But it's just like, man, we may feel defeated from time to time, but we serve a greater God than anything this world has ever seen. All these things will pass away, but the one true God remains forever. And so they're given back all of their stuff that belongs to Yahweh. And in chapter two, it, it starts listing out all of these people groups. They kept good records of all the people. And these are the people that were going to go back to Judah and rebuild. Because what God promised a long time ago to a guy named Abraham was still true today. And there's things in our lives that happen where we go this way and we go that way. We're going to fall apart. We're going to fall away. And we're going to have delays. There's going to be delays in Ezra. There's going to be delays in Nehemiah. And, and a spoiler alert, Ezra and Nehemiah, it doesn't end that well, to be honest with you. But there's a glimmer of hope, at least right now. And it doesn't end well, and it ends with 400 years of silence. But what comes after well, that ends well, because it has implications for you and for me. Because 400 years after the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, a baby is born in Bethlehem who 
comes to take away the sin of the world. God remains victorious. So in the few moments we have left, what do we do with these first few verses, this first chapter of Ezra? How do we apply this to our lives? I think number one, we got to say this, that rebuilding starts with God. Notice in very, the very first verse that God stirred in the hearts of Cyrus, even a pagan person, God stirs in the heart of Cyrus. I don't know how that works. I just know that God works all things together for, for the good of those who glorify him according to his purpose, not our purposes, but his purpose. And so God is going to use whatever he needs to in order to accomplish his task. So just quick, quick little, little um, comforting thing for you. It doesn't matter who wins the election in a couple of months. Why? Because God's on the throne. We're not electing, as my friend always says, we're not electing a new Jesus in November. So don't get your panties in a bunch. I probably shouldn't say that. Don't, don't get all, don't get all upset over your political person, whatever's happening. If they don't win, if that person wins, if, if, if you do, and and if your candidate does win, it doesn't mean throw it in the face because guess what? God is in control. God is going to stir the hearts. God is going to move the people. And he is the one that's on his throne. And rebuilding, no matter what we do, starts with God. Anything other than starting a rebuild with God is foolish. And sometimes God has to bring us back down to our core to rebuild what is good in us. Sometimes things just get so out of control that that, that a rebuild is the only thing that can happen. We just got to tear it all down. You ever do that where you just have, oh, you, you, there's, there's just so much. I, I do this in, when, I'm, when I'm mixing sound sometimes, um, and, and this might not make sense to everybody, but um, I'll try to explain it. When, when I'm mixing sound uh, for audio, like if there's a band playing or something, and I'm on the soundboard, and I'm moving all the levers and all the buttons and all that kind of stuff, uh, that's what my training is actually in. So when I'm doing that, there's something called mixing yourself into a corner where, where you're putting so many effects on, so many, you're, you're trying to cut out all of these frequencies that don't work and, you're, and you just keep mixing and mixing and mixing. You're adding things on, you're adding layers, you're adding this. And, and sometimes you don't even know how to get out of where you're in. You've got feedback coming back over here. This doesn't sound good. It sounds muddy. And just like, it, it, it's just so overwhelming. And there's a point where you just have to reset the entire soundboard and just start over. And sometimes in our lives, we just need a whole reset and just start over. And man, that's a painful process. It really is. But rebuilding starts with God. And know that if God is in it in the beforehand, God is in it in the afterward too. He's in through all of it. So God might be taking things away from your lives just so that he can get down to the core of where you're at. It's like, all right, let's start over again. Look at the nation of Israel. Look at, look at the land of Judah. A thousand years before, a family was transplanted to Egypt to emerge not as a family, but as a nation. Joseph brought his dad Israel and all of his brothers and their families to avoid a famine. So they entered Egypt as a, as a, as a small family, but they left Egypt as a nation of millions. And now that same nation is emerging from Babylon, not as a kingdom, but as the makings of a small church dedicated to rebuilding the temple, rededicating to the laws and rebuilding their walls 
Psalm 127 tells us, this is David writing. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Hold on right there. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. How many of you do that? Does that feel like you? Does that feel like you right now where you're getting up early and you're going to bed late because of all the stuff you're doing? You're toiling throughout the day because, man, you've just got to take care of this. When we're building our own house, when we're doing a rebuild without God, man, that's exactly what it's going to look like. We talked about this last week about having Jesus as our cornerstone, and now we're talking about rebuilding starting with God. So if last week you made a decision that, you know what, Jesus, I am putting you as my cornerstone, in order that, in order to do that, you know what we have to do? We have to tear it down and put Jesus at the center. You can't put Jesus at the center of the cornerstone with everything still in place. So you got to tear it all down and rebuild. And rebuilding starts with God. It says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. We're trying to take care of all this stuff, eating the bread of anxious toil. That doesn't sound very good at all, does it? Eating the bread of anxious toil. I said last week, man, I'm, I'm having a rough week. It's continuing in this week. It's not as bad as last week, but man, I've been eating the bread of anxious toil. I've been rising up early and going to bed late. But it says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Man, don't you just love sleep? <laughs> as an adult, I just love sleep. And that's what God's promise is for us. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Okay, I'll be honest with you. I probably shouldn't have even read those last three verses because they really don't apply, but I love just reading an entire psalm, all right? So um, <laughs> I've got nothing to say about that. That's a completely different sermon for a different day. Rebuilding has to start with God. And here's the good news. God wants to rebuild your identity. Some of us may be feeling like Judah, the the land of Judah right now, the people that were in exile, the people of God. Maybe you feel like there's no home, there's no purpose, there's no spiritual. You're spiritually bankrupt. You don't have a place to lay your head. Your whole life is just crashing in around you. Maybe it's time to rebuild your identity. I find it so curious that how, how we are as a nation today, how obsessed we are with identity. When you introduce yourself, typically the first thing you do is, is you talk about who you are, what you do. And we see so many people struggling with their identities today. Because it's not rooted in Jesus Christ. If, if, my, if my life isn't rooted in, in Christ, then I'm going to struggle with identity. I'm going to struggle with who I am. I'm going to struggle with where I fit in. I'm going to struggle with who my friends are. And I'm going to get tired. 
of trying to find where my place is in this whole world, where I fit in. And I think a lot of people in, in this story, man, they had no identity anymore. They had no home. They had no purpose. They were, they were spiritually bankrupt from before. Man, it's time to rebuild their identity. And that's exactly what they're going to do. And then these next few weeks, we're going to see how they build their identity through first building of the temple and, and getting their order of worship down first. And then they're going to spend time studying it. And then they're going to build out from there. Man, rebuilding our identity starts with Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ my identity or not? Because what we need to understand as we go on from this is, is it's not who you are, but who's you, who's you are. We've talked about that before. I've shared it probably a few times. Man, it's not who you are. It's not what your name is, what your job is, what your gender is, what your preference sexuality is. Uh, it is whose you are. And when it's whose you are, well, then the other stuff doesn't really matter anymore. And now it's more in line with what God's called us to do in the first place. One man, one woman coming together. That, that, that life is sacred. Now our, now our identity is being rooted in Jesus Christ and no longer what the world tells us of what we are. It's not who you are, but whose you are. Like I said, man, rebuilding is a difficult process. You might, through this rebuilding of your identity, you might, through this series, realize that there's things that you thought were dealt with that you need to go back through. You may have covered it. You may have glossed over it. We may have put something over it so that we don't see it anymore. But it doesn't mean the problem's not there. It's like mold in a house. You can cover it up all you want, but it's still there and it's still growing. You got to rip everything out and bring it back down to the base. Root out all of the stuff that's in our lives that don't need to be there. And allow God to stir up our hearts to move towards him. Jeremiah 20, or 31, I almost said 29, 11. Jeremiah 31, this is the last verses I'm going to read. This is all about the people uh, in exile, now in, in Persia, but was Babylon. Jeremiah wrote, who was a, actually, he was in Egypt. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put, it, I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That was written for those people coming back from exile, saying, Hey, we're going to do things differently. But it's also foreshadowing to when Jesus comes. 
And while they thought that they were going to be this new covenant, they were going to start this new thing, that they were going to be the initiators of it, man, they just they were just a piece in the timeline. And though it doesn't end well, we're going to find out how God moves through a rebuild and how we can be open to the Holy Spirit rebuilding our lives. So I hope you stick with us for this series. We've got 10 more weeks to go. I know we're going to cover a lot of stuff in 10 weeks. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be fun. So do you need to rebuild something? Is God moving in you to say, hey, it's time to give that up? It's time to let me lead. It's time to say that it's not about who you are, but whose you are now. Are you ready to make Jesus your cornerstone? Because he wants to rebuild your identity grounded in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the love that you have for us, that you've given to us. God, I thank you that we can hear stories like this from Ezra. God, we can look at the example of, of the nation of Israel, the kingdom, their missteps and the things that they did right. God, may we be a people that's open to rebuilding with you at the center. It's in your precious name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.